0: We live in a day where people continually pursue what is glamorous. Glamorous. The definition of glamour is the quality of fascinating, alluring, or attracting, especially by a combination of charm and good looks. Excitement, adventure, and unusual activity. Magic or enchantment, even a spell or witchery. The word glamour originally referred to a magical or even unreal charm or beauty attached to a person or or an object. Glamour is now used to mean a certain thrilling or attractive appeal, even especially sex appeal in this day and age in which we live. We live in the day of selfies, influencers, reality TV, personal reels. Many are looking for likes, followers, followers. Comments and shares. Athletes are looking for endorsements, coverage, bigger contracts. So much is about glamour. Glamour. Now, I know for you, you're, you know, well, no, I, no, that's not me. I'd, well, hopefully not. But I think there's an element of all of us that we look back to see who commented, who liked, who shared, who. Glamour. Even family vacations are filled with perfect shots and reels where we share our lives and show our followers how great things are going, uh, unless you go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee in Christmas (laughs) time. Other than that, there's not much to show in Gatlinburg, Tennessee at Christmas time except for busted pipes and heat that doesn't work, but... For the rest of you, the glamour is beautiful, and we share it with our followers. We can argue that our goal is to help someone, but oftentimes, if we're willing to be honest, it's an ego trip where we want more likes, more followers, and more shares. And today, I want to talk on this topic of commitment is not glamorous. Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful for everything we've already experienced. I believe, signs, wonders, miracles, I believe that people are already going to have testimonies about what you did, what you're doing, what you're going to do. And so, Lord, we just join one another in praising and worshiping you today for everything that you have done and are doing God, let our hearts and minds be open. Father, otherwise, Jesus, if I just impart information and read words, it doesn't mean anything if your anointing isn't on it, but your anointing needs to be on me and upon the ears and minds and eyes of those who are going to receive and see and hear this today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, if we're not careful, living for God can almost get boring. Now I know... That What did you just say? That You can't say that in the pulpit. But if we're honest, if we're honest, if we're not careful, we don't guard our heart. It can almost just become mundane. Oh, I go there at 7 and 2. You got to be at that. Show up for this. Do this. Yep. Get that done. And oh, that's right. I got my bread chart. Got to read the scripture today. And like, it just becomes something that we're not conscientiously engaging in. Sometimes living for God is just not glamorous enough. The call to consecration or ministry often takes place not in a You don't start at the pulpit. You don't start on the keyboard. You don't start teaching the class, leading. You don't start there. You don't start in the lights. Consecration and commitment starts behind closed doors. It starts in an altar. It starts... At a time where there's just you and Jesus in prayer. And this can be a problem because in an age where we share with our followers, we chronicle our lives, the committed life of a Christian almost becomes the polar opposite of the way society lives and engages. Recently I read an article. Has anyone heard about this lady? I'm not even going to say her name because I don't want you to look her up. But there was one lady who is actually letting her followers make her life choices. Has anyone heard about this person? Literally only like four people. Okay, five, six people maybe. She is letting people make her life choices. Could you imagine this? So like, what time should I wake up tomorrow? And you all could just decide. Should I read the Bible or not? You decide, what should I have for breakfast tomorrow? you decide. Now, here's the caveat. She says she won't commit crimes. She lets them choose, though, if she quits her job or not. Some days, y'all be like, can I vote for you to quit your job? (laughs) She votes. She has them vote whether to give someone money. Okay, so I'm going to wake up. What time should I wake up? What should I, what should I eat for breakfast? Where should I go today? Should I go to work or should I quit? And the followers decide. Now, you could imagine she has a lot of followers because I guess that's kind of a cool thing to have that kind of power and influence in someone's life. And what does she wear for the day you vote? And some people say religion's restricting. Wow. Wow. You know, in the Old Testament, Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons named Jacob and Esau. Esau was born just before Jacob, and so he, he should have been the one with the eventual patriarch the fam- uh, patriarch of the family, the power, the, the, the authority in that family, thus receiving that special birthright that's given to the firstborn son. But Jacob, he tricked Esau. Uh, when, Esau when, or when Jacob was making some stew, Esau was hungry, and Jacob tricked him. He said, I'll give you a cup of stew. Go ahead and give me the birthright. And so he did, and after that deception, Jacob knew his brother wanted to kill him. And so he and his mom decided, you know, it's best you get out of here. You don't want your brother to kill you. You're the patriarch now. You have the birthright. Get out. Go to Uncle Laban's house. Get out of town. And so it was. He, Jacob, you know, he rolls up his sleeves. He, he goes out. I'm going to Uncle Laban's. Gets in there. I'm going to start working. And the first thing he he sees his cousin Rachel and. And yeah, back then it was all right. Now it's weird and don't do it. But he sees his cousin Rachel and it was kind of love at first sight. But look what transpires next. Genesis twenty nine fifteen. Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. Tell me how your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters, oldest daughter. Her name was Leah. Younger one was Rachel. And there was a No sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Poor Leah. One was glamorous and beautiful. The other one, not so much. I didn't say it, the Bible did. Verse 18, since Jacob was in love with Rachel... He told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me, Rachel, your younger daughter as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. So stay here and work for me. I'm glad I did not preach this before I was married. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed but a few days. That is so romantic. You don't need, you don't need to go to Hallmark to see good stuff. right? It's right here in the Bible. Finally, the time came for him to marry her, and I, he said, I fulfilled my agreement. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Yeah, I guess he was excited. So (laughs) Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. Jacob, he wakes up in the morning Oh, my goodness, it's Leah. If you come up to me after church and want me to break down how that happened, I don't have answers for you. I'll just tell you. What have you done to me, Jacob? Raged. He, he did not say, hey, guy, Uncle Laban, can I talk to you for a second? I have a question. No, he raged. What have you done? worked seven years for Rachel you tricked me trickery and deceit ran in the family now verse 26 it's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn Laban replied but wait until the bridal week is over we'll give you Rachel too but provided that you work another seven years How many of you are just okay? Okay, fine. Uh, We'd be like, I'm hiring an attorney. This is it. Didn't work that way back then. You want Rachel? Work another seven years. And so Jacob agreed, probably not willingly, probably not happily, to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. So Leah really never, she got one week alone. With Jacob. And so Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. And so Jacob slept with Rachel too. And Scripture tells us very clearly he loved her, not not a little more, he loved her much more than Leah. And he then stayed and worked for Laban the additional, additional seven years. And from that point forward, Leah had a little bit of a rough go at it. Leah's the sister of Rachel, and many of the stories about her center around her turbulent relationship with her sister as they are both Jacob's wives. Jacob clearly prefers Rachel, and God compensates Leah by making Leah fertile, and and Rachel, she remains barren. Both sisters ultimately bear Jacob many sons, and Jacob's 12 sons eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. But the sisters repeatedly compete with each other for Jacob's affection, mostly by trying to bear him more children. Because that was a big thing. If you could bear children, especially men, that, hey, that, that, that was celebrated in that culture. And although Leah is given little attention outside of her complicated relationship with Rachel and Jacob, she and Rachel are remembered as the ancestresses who built up the house of Israel. Nevertheless, because of Jacob's obvious preference for Rachel, Leah remains insecure, and in the naming of her sons, she shows how she hopes to gain favor through them. So she has boys, and she says, first son's name is Reuben, which means see a son. That was a big deal. Come on, Jacob, I gave you the first boy. We got a boy. The patriarch, he's going to be, this is going to work. Her next one is Simeon, which means God heard that I am unloved. The third one's Levi, which literally means now my husband will be with me. Fourth one is Judah, which means thanks or praise. At some point, Rachel's jealous, and her maid, she has her maid, you know, because Rachel can't give birth to to kids. She's struggling. So she sends her maid, Bilhah, to give birth to two sons. Leah, no longer fertile, responds and says, you know what? Well, I had boys before you could ever have boys. Now you get to send in your maid. And she's like, fine, I'm going to send my maid in. They needed a lot of counseling. As Would any of us, if we were in this situation, don't marry two sisters. If you receive anything, here's a word from God, don't marry two sisters, that's not a good idea. The climax in the relationship and the rivalry becomes when the sisters, the co-wives, come when Reuben finds some mandrakes. Both sisters want them. Mandrakes supposedly were, they had fertility inducing powers, perhaps aphrodisiac qualities. And they strike a bargain. Leah will give Rachel the mandrakes in return for a night with Jacob. I say there can be movies about the Bible. I don't know what this won't be rated, so just be careful. But Leah crudely announces to Jacob, That she has hired him with the mandrakes. You're mine tonight. I hired you. So Jacob spends the night with her. When co-wives unite in purpose. Husbands must comply. I guess that's the moral of the story. The new accord between the sisters. Helps Leah become pregnant. For she gives birth to two more sons. Issachar which means God has given me my hire, and Zebulun, which means now my husband will honor me. Really, her life is real sad. I mean, her whole life was just pursuing, I just want my husband to love me. And a daughter, Dinah, which Genesis 30 tells us about. I've preached a number of messages from this account. I don't think I've ever come at it through this lens. You know, Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah. Scripture makes it clear that he never loved her. He loved Rachel. He didn't love Leah. Really, the person that's really messed up here is Laban. I mean, you put your family in a really bad spot. Rachel had the beauty, the figure, the glamour. I hope this doesn't make you uncomfortable. This is biblical. Leah apparently had big or soft eyes. I mean, could you imagine? Look at the body. She's beautiful. And she, uh, she's got big eyes. <laughs> but she also has the blessing of God on her womb. Jacob thought he was marrying Rachel. He got Leah. He loved Rachel, he endured Leah. Yet Leah was fertile and produced many children, including Judah. Who everything that my husband is, my husband that, my husband that. But then like something kind of clicked and she said, I'm going to name this one praise. And it was through the line of praise that the Messiah came. When with Rachel, it was love at first sight. With Leah, he had to learn to love her. There are going to be times in your life when the most productive things in your life are going to be the things that you learn to love. The most productive things in your life are going to be the things you learn to love. I'm not talking about marrying more than one person at a time. Dear Lord, don't do that. But I am talking about accepting that sometimes God's will for your life is not going to be glamorous. There are things that you will want and that will come easy to you. But that's not always what God is calling you toward. We went to Bible college And do you know they actually did surveys at Bible College? You talk about the unwritten, like nobody said you're going to be a failure unless you do this. But everything points a certain direction. The surveys were who in the class is most likely to preach because of the times? Who in the class is most likely to preach general conference? Who in the class is most likely to serve at headquarters? And so... There starts to be a stigma that, well, unless if nobody votes for me, what a bummer, no one sees that in me. But you see, God doesn't call the majority of the people he calls. Don't stand in big spotlights in front of big crowds. But in this society, you're only successful when you have the number of followers The number of crowd, the number of comments, the number of shares. But how do you live life as a Christian? You say, hey, everyone, I'm living a life of consecration to Jesus. You make that your status? I don't think you're going to get a lot of shares, likes, and comments. Because it's not really glamorous. Serving God will not always look like Rachel. Sometimes it looks like Leah. Sunday might often look like Rachel. The music is thumping. I mean Tim's got the bass doom, 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 ding ding you got the praise team jumping up and down, the little children are jumping all around. You're like, I got a slice of heaven right here. The kids are jumping, people are smiling. Hey sister, praise the Lord. Brother, how you doing? Even if you're doing terrible, you just go, I'm good. How are you? And you feel Jesus and you got tears in your eyes and goosebumps down your back, hair standing up. You're going, oh, this is awesome. I feel God so strong. This is so beautiful. And there's teaching in rock church and someone speaking a message, singing a song, playing an instrument, praying with somebody in an altar, feeling the anointing at the service. Rachel looks great. But then you leave and Monday morning comes. And you wake up and go, oh my Lord, I'm in bed with Leah. (laughs) I pray to God that nobody goes to our live stream and pulls one line (laughs) off my live stream or they're going to be pulling my license. I'm going to go before the board. No, hang on. Because the rest of the week, you know, no one else is around. Sometimes you're just like, hey, Jack, can you, can you play a song for me? Tim, I know, could you just come and drum for me on Tuesday? It's a tough day. <laughs> Tim will just come like a little drummer boy. He'll come up show up on your job. <laughs> Boom, ba-ba-ba-boom, ba-ba-ba. He'll bring a smile to your face. Your kids are going crazy. He said, Rich and Jen, could you please take them to Rock Church right now? <laughs> the boss is a jerk. The coworkers are rude. Nobody's doing their job. You're the only one that works hard. He tried to teach a Bible study, and one person showed up. And the peer that's teaching Bible says they're talking about all the people that are getting baptized. Your, your friend just got a raise. Your sibling just got a promotion. You ain't getting a raise, and you ain't getting a promotion. The neighbor's moving because they got a bigger house and the car that you drive just broke down and they just got themselves a brand new one. The lady at church is pregnant and you can't have kids. Leah. Rachel's beautiful and easy to love. Leah's a decision to remain faithful when things just don't look like you would want them to look. But your growth as a person, as a mighty man or woman of God, is taking place more during the week than it is on Sunday. Sundays are crucial. It's so, so important that you're here because we need to feel and experience what we have. Some churches say we don't put emphasis on the building. You know why we put emphasis on the building? It's not the structure itself, but it's because this is where life change takes place. This is where callings are born at these altars. Growth takes place during resistance. And resistance more times than not is not taking place on Sunday. It can happen. Why do I got to go to church with her? Yeah. After what she said, after what that guy did, you might deal with it somewhat, but not, not usually. It's rare. Resistance is not usually... During the worship set, as the kids are jumping and the praise team singing and hands are going and tears are streaming and goosebumps are popping up, no. Resistance is usually happening. Monday morning when you got to go to work, Tuesday night when you can't sleep, Thursday when you get a bad news phone call. Preaching is my Rachel. Fasting is my Leah. One comes easy. One's more difficult. Altar calls are Rachel's. Camps and conferences are Rachel's. Oh, yeah. We just go in and get a fan. I remember early in pastoring, I'd go to general conference, and I'd be like, ooh. We're going to go home and change this and have that and have this and do this. We're going to do that and change the world. And we come in and like Sunday rolls around. It's right after General Conference. People are like, I can't make it today. I'm sick. My dog's sick. My kids are sick. I got to go. The the, the car broke down. And I'm like, and I show up. You know, there's like out of 18 people, there's like seven of us here. And you're like, man, let me go back to General Conference. General Conference was just a bunch of people just gathering. General Conference, conference, you can just go, God's good. And people are like, I've been in in services where Brother Stone King didn't even get to preach. He just got up and said, Jesus is here. And people are like, oh! I'm like, man. Because people go to a camp and a conference where everybody's in the same mindset. Oh, wow, this is going to be powerful. This is going to be amazing. This is one of my favorite speakers. Most of you didn't come in going, this is one of my favorite speakers going to preach today. (laughs) Now I'm getting uncomfortable That's awkward I know one person And that's Jackie And if it's not, I'm going to pretend But the conference, the camps Everybody comes in And if we came in with the same expectation Like we do to camps and conferences Our services would be just as good Phone calls are Leah's helping someone on the weekend is Leah. Hey, i got to talk to you. I know it's 2 in the morning. I'm sorry. Hey, can I have some help moving? i got a big thing, and I can't, I can't, I can't get it moved by myself. Oh, that's Leah. Uh, I can't because I'm going to be preaching. That's Rachel. Sunday praise team is Rachel. Monthly praise team practice is Leah. I know my wife does a great job. She makes it fun. But it's still work to take a Saturday, take a couple hours, come here, go over parts, go, oh, oh, oh. No, you're, you're too flat. You've got to go higher. And then some of the times she teaches a song. You're like, I don't even like this song. And I've got to sit and listen to it over and over again. <laughs> It's Leah. Sermons are Rachel's. Home Bible studies are Leah's. Because why? Because when I get to preach, when you get to preach, you're in front of people. The live stream, yes, God gave me this word, and I'm going to break the word to you on a Bible study. A lot of times you're grabbing to see your notes. You're going out on a Tuesday night, and guess how many people even know you're teaching? Maybe your spouse. And then the person sits there and doesn't really smile or say anything, and you get done, and you go, do you have any questions? Nope, I'm good. And they get up, and you're like, what am I doing? Is anything, is anything I'm saying even influencing their life? I'm driving 30 minutes to go teach this study, and I don't even know if they hear anything I'm saying. And then I get done, and they don't make a stand, and I wonder, did I just waste my whole time? Eventually, you and I are married to both. But we better learn to love Leah. Because, hear me, Leah is where our multiplication comes from. Right. And this is why a lot of people come and go in church. This is why, man, I hope when we get into a new building, we've grown, we're celebrating our 10 year anniversary in that building until so 10, 11 years from now. I pray that I see not only every single one of you, but we've grown, but the sheer statistics just say I probably won't. And I hate that. But because a lot of people love going to church. They love Rachel on Sundays. But consecration and commitment are Leah. And there's a whole lot of people that are just not willing to live the consecrated life. It's a lot easier to go with what is glamorous. We might be spending all our time trying to win over Rachel. But in the end, Christ comes through Leah. Jesus Christ comes. Your anointing, your calling comes. When you say, I feel called. Is there any chance I could get into the pulpit at some point? That's not it. Christ, the anointing, the power comes from commitment. Consecration. It comes when your friends are saying, <laughs> okay, it's not that big of a deal. To listen to that. You don't watch that stuff? It's, not, it's only rated this. Okay, oh, guess holier than thou. You're trying, it, you really think that's going to get you into heaven just by doing that? You say, listen, I'm not judging anybody else. You do what you got to do. But for me, I'm living a consecrated life. It's not just what I'm not doing. It's who I'm separated to. And so that anointing, Jesus, comes through, Leah. It's the fasting, the praying, the Bible study teaching, the giving, the sacrificing, the serving. When no one else can see. Hey, if you need anything, just let me know. Man, we could really use someone on the cleaning team. Oh, I was thinking more platform ministry. Really? See, we're looking for Rachel rather than Leah. See, these are the things that we got to think about. If I want that anointing, that, that, that power, I'm not going it doesn't, to... It doesn't come necessarily through the Leah, for through the Rachels of my life. Christ is coming through the things that don't come Easy. The early morning times when your body is going, sleep. You hit snooze and you start thinking about the time subconsciously of when you could pray later. And then the fast gets announced, and your body starts saying, "E-e." if you don't even eat starts looking good you're like man those refried beans no what am i doing (laughs) times with consecration and commitment when the body says but i want to look like the rest of the world Look at the influencers. Look at the people out there. Look at the models. Look at the billboards. Like, I need to dress like that, look like that. I need to change my face, my hair, my body. I need to inject my lips with stuff so that they're bigger like that lady's lips. And what? We got to try and do something because I need to be like them. And one's Rachel, one's Leah. What paves the way for Christ to come? And I'm almost done. It's not what, it's not what is glamorous. After all, born, Jesus was born in an in insignificant city of Bethlehem. It wasn't really glamorous. Chad and I have been there. Um, born in an insignificant manger. Man, Chad, we got to go again just because we look a little more seasoned now. little more mature. That's what I like to say. Born in an insignificant manger, located in an insignificant stable. two insignificant parents named Joseph and Mary, angels showed up to insignificant shepherds in an insignificant field and was raised in the insignificant town of Nazareth so much where someone said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What made each of those things incredibly significant to this day when you mention a manger, a stable? You don't even have to say where. A manger, a stable, a carpenter that's withstood the test of time because Jesus came there. Jesus went through there. Jesus was their son. Jesus lived there. Jesus changed lives there. Jesus resided there. And what made Leah significant was not her glamour, it was not her beauty, it was not her big eyes. It was the lineage of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, came through her womb. Hear me. You are beautiful. Not in a way of Rachel, Leah, good looks. I'm not that. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. What makes you beautiful is Jesus Christ resides in you. And he will reside in the things that you set aside forever for him. He meets you in the time of studying his word. He speaks to you in your time of prayer. He honors your time of sacrificial fasting and giving. He anoints you. As you go to teach his word on a Tuesday or a Thursday night or a Saturday morning, others may want the glamour in ministry, but God blesses your spiritual womb as disciples are birthed out of your commitment to him. As I close, you think about Enoch in the Old Testament. He is listed many years later in the New Testament. In the famous chapter of faith, chapter 11, it says it was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him, for he was taken up. He was known as a person who pleased God. That's it. When you read about Noah, you're just getting into Noah's life before you read the the ark and the boat and the animals. He had this testimony. He pleased God. Imagine that conversation that the writer of Hebrews had with God as he's going, all right, it's time to compile the faith. Oh, who are we going to put in the faith? It's not like MLB or NBA, like, oh, we got our panels who votes on who's going to be in the, in the Hall of Fame. Oh, we can't vote on that guy. He took PED, so he, he's not included. He gambled, so Pete Rose can't be in. You know, it's not like that. It's just this guy, all right, Lord, who we put in this, this Hall of Faith? And then this guy, okay, and this guy, alright, and then this guy, yep, and then oh, that, oh that's a good one. I forgot. Yep, oh, and then we got a lady, okay. Great, oh great, we got her there, and then Enoch. Enoch. <laughs> What'd that guy do? Just because he was translated, and didn't die? I mean, why are we throwing that guy in there? Did Enoch ever take out a giant? No. Well, did Enoch, was he, did did he part the waters of the the Red Sea? No. Did Enoch spend the night with lions and then live to tell about it the next morning? Because that's glamorous. No. Well, can you give me at least one good reason why are we throwing Enoch into this chapter? all these glamorous things. He built the boat. He parted the Red Sea. I mean, why are we putting Enoch there? Because that man, he walked with me. That's it? Yeah. That's a guy who walked with me. You might not feel like you're doing glamorous things for God. Right now, you might go, what am I doing? I, I teach half the time. Kids don't listen. I'm cleaning. Nobody even says thank you. They wouldn't notice if I didn't clean. Oh, I'm, I'm standing at the door, and half the time, I don't even know if anybody sees me. They walk right by me. Maybe you're like, I dreamt that I was going to do more things for God, and here I am just doing this. I just, I'm just not very glamorous, not, not really doing big things for God. If I could just wrap this up by saying something, and that's this. Just keep walking with Him. It's not just the glamorous things He notices. He notices people who just simply are faithful, who walk with Him, who are consistent, steady, committed, consecrated. Because after all, when you read Scripture, rarely, rarely did Jesus ever come and do or through anything that was glamorous. He chose the committed, the consecrated. The sanctified, the set apart, the people who just said, "I'm gonna walk with you and never waver, never wander. I just want to hear your voice. I just want to feel your touch. I know late Rachel looks, oh yeah, the glamour and if you open a door for me to do something there, that's fine. But I know, Lord, that you come through Leah. And all the things that aren't as beautiful that I do in my life. I don't want to, I want to learn to love those things. Because those are the things where the, the spirit of the Lord is going to reside. I invite you today to find a place to pray right now. To come and to bow a knee, raise a hand, bow a head and just, God, help me to not only look for and love the Rachel's, but the leas of my life god oh father i want to i want to be committed consecrated set it, s- separated set apart god jesus help me lord it doesn't matter if anybody sees or acknowledges it i'm not doing it for them i'm doing it for you god because I want to draw near to you. I want to hear your voice. I want to see your face. That's my ultimate goal. It's not to stand in the spotlight. I just, I want to walk with you, God. I want you to find me faithful, Jesus.